This is the Bureau of Lost Culture, and I'm Stephen Coates. They range from the darkest bogeymen of countercultural nightmares Charlie Manson, Jim Jones, David Koresh, Marshall Applewhite, the Reverend Moon to bodhisattva like figures devoted to the good of others and include outright charlatans, narcissistic psychopaths, deluded prophets, and some genuine gurus. Since the 1950s, and probably a lot earlier if you include the likes of Madame Blavatsky, Gurdjieff, and Alistair Crowley, certain charismatic individuals have taken it upon themselves to collect others around them in what we refer to as cults. My guest today has spent over 20 years not only studying them, but soundtracking them. Before we meet him and head off in search of the age of Aquarius, I'd like to say thanks to Stephen D, Chris, Ronnie, Nigel and Lauren who wrote to me this month with suggestions and their thoughts. Join them and all the others who get our bulletin, bureauoflostculture.com. We're hell-bent on building an oral history of the counterculture, an impossible task I know, but one which is great fun and will benefit greatly from any help you can offer. You can just tell a friend about the show, leave us a review or a bequest. Come and join our cult. So let's get to it. Artist, broadcaster, archivist Micah Moses has hosted a weekly terrestrial radio show on Tuesday nights on New Jersey's WFMU for over a decade. It's an exploration into the musical output of cults, new religious movements and individuals of a spiritually inspired and divine nature. Micah came to the Bureau to talk about it, to talk about cults, talk about the new age ideas that many of them emerge from. His radio show is an extraordinary thing, and this episode of the Bureau contains a selection of sounds he has plucked from the vast archive he's gathered over the years. He's here ahead of his exhibition, God Body, around the theme of the new age, which he'll show in London at the Horse Hospital in September. That's if you're listening in 2023. Details of that in the show notes. But for now, welcome, Micah. Hello. Thanks. Glad to be here. Well, that word culture, and of course counterculture, it's got the syllable right in the middle of it, cult. What does it mean? We've created this sort of artificial construct out of it that has all these connotations, mostly negative connotations. But if you go back to the, the origin of the word, it just means a small gathering of like-minded individuals who have a religious or spiritual affiliation in something that's not widely recognized. I actually did a bit of digging myself to see where the, where the derivation of the word is, and it <clears throat> came from Latin, of course, like many of our words, but it seemed to just really be about worship or even honor, and even has this uh, sense of inhabiting something. I mean, there was a cult in London back in the Roman times. They discovered the remnants of it in the Temple of Mithras. But the cult of Mithras, it was just sort of common old garden centurion's cult, the, the bull god, they did obviously have particular rituals and gathered and they had secret knowledge. And that seems to be a bit part of it too, doesn't it? Or certainly our associations with it, that there's, there's something or somebody to worship. And then there's some secret or occult knowledge, which those who are in the know uh, have got access to. Yeah, the phenomenon is as old as humanity itself in its quest to understand reason for our existence 
why things are the way they are. Uh, there will always be some kind of cult or culture around whatever type of cosmology or mythology that appeals to a certain group of people. Cult of Mithros is one of the earlier known spiritual affiliations of Western history, but go back earlier, you'll find probably thousands preceded uh, or even uh, informed the cult of Mithros. When it comes to religious associations, I can't imagine anybody saying, you know, I'm part of a cult. Mm. Uh, I mean, you might want to sort of say, <laughs> I'm in a cult band, you know, or that director is a cult movie director. But I mean, nobody's going to say I'm, I'm a member, proud member of a cult, are they? <laughs> well, I've noticed that uh, some of the more self-aware spiritual organization uh, use that term with honor, like, oh, this is a cult, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's being reclaimed. Yeah, I think that the term sort of evolved sometime in the mid-20th century when suddenly there was a, a rash of these new spiritual organizations turned people away from the more traditional Abrahamic acceptable forms of worship. Of course, in the 60s, you had the rise of some of the new emergent spiritual organizations, and that's that's when all the so-called mind control became in vogue. Probably the Moonies, at least here in the U.S., was when the whole mind control thing started to become more cognizant in, in the culture. I think we should come back to that. Um, but when you were talking then, I was thinking there is actually something fundamentally countercultural about a cult. Those who form or join one, they are doing it in kind of opposition to the mainstream culture. Well, usually in these things, there is the concept that most of humanity don't know the truth except us. We are the, the few, the select, the marginalized that has a claim on what's really going on beneath the surface. The rest of those rubes uneducated sheeple yeah the sheeple they're still worshiping that dead dogma so yes that's the countercultural aspect that whatever group is being spoken of they have the rare insight into the inner workings of cosmic circumstance we've dived right in and we're going to circle back to this stuff but i want to take you back to the beginning for you first of all mike you're an artist broadcaster but what's this obsession? You've got this, I suppose we call it an OCD <laughs> obsession with cults. In fact, your radio show has become a cult in itself. So you are in some sense been caught by your own obsession. You are now, in fact, the leader of a cult. Tell us what went wrong. <laughs> uh, well, it's funny. The whole evolution of this project started probably about 20 years ago when I was involved in emerging technologies, this whole concept of transhumanism, that we can alter our bodies, make choices about our whole biological destiny with these new emerging technologies. So what I ultimately started playing around with was this idea of like a transhumanist cult, basically a fake cult. I made a propaganda film 
and it was attached to a biofeedback device so that when you watched it, it would register how you reacted to certain things. And so I went out and I, I hired an actress to be my assistant and we did public outreach. The idea was that I was going to keep this up. It was going to be sort of like a ongoing performance art thing, but I just didn't have the manpower and the stamina to keep it going. However, all the research that I did going into it just ignited my fascination. I was also doing a freeform radio show at the same time. So the, <laughs> the two interests kind of merged. And out of that came Music of Mind Control. 10 years of that, um, <clears throat> an hour-long program, weekly. I mean, that's an awful lot of cult music, isn't it? I mean, that's the first extraordinary thing is, is that there is so much. I mean, <clears throat> obviously you put it into context, so it partly it's you as well. But Yeah, well, the show has expanded thematically in that just any kind of music that's associated with any kind of mystical research or individuals that have a mystical practice and a musical practice. Anything basically that I can tell a story about that is within this spectrum of cult or occult or spiritual orientation. I've also said, I mean, in listening to it, it's apparent that um, a lots of things that appear, you know, do offend common good taste. In the sense that <laughs> some of them are genuinely terrible, right? I mean, the the point of view yeah. is not to sort of curate this kind of beautiful, listenable, collectible set of music, but it's to give the sort of the whole gamut, right? And some of it is genuinely dire. No, we, we get our hands very dirty on the music of mind control. Um, mm. pro some of the, probably some of the most ear-piercingly awful sounds you will ever experience are played on the program <laughs> i thought we could soundtrack what we're talking about just kind of randomly with some of your picks from the show down the years and one of the things that you chose was very odd um and it's from the buddhist incarnated living tulku meaning somebody's been reincarnated uh jetsunama akan lamo and she set up the largest Buddhist monastery in America, although she's from Brooklyn. Yes. Um, but t tell us about her and tell us about this track, Big Stinky. doesn't yeah. sound particu particularly new age. No, it's not. So Jetsun Ma, she was a, a Buddhist cult leader from Maryland. She did proclaim herself the living tolku, reincarnation of the ancient divine Buddha. And uh, she had a very lavish lifestyle. She lived in this glorious mansion while her followers were basically sleeping on mats in filthy uh, households. She apparently cussed like a sailor. She still does. I don't know if she's uh, still the leader of the cult. Uh, she has apparently a very dirty potty mouth, uh, loves ordering her disciples around, making them go shop for her or uh, give her manicures. And this uh, song, Big Stinky, it yeah. should sound like it comes straight from the depths of the Tibetan plateau. <laughs> Not exactly. So I think in the early part of the 
21st century, Jetsunma decided she wanted to become a blues singer. So she started recording a series of CDs backed by, I guess, her disciples. And she has the most ear-piercingly awful singing voice one could imagine. Uh, and she does a song called Big Stinky about I guess her imagined lover with a body odor problems. I am making noises. Cults do all religious movements have music, have soundtracks, which they utilise somehow in the propagation of their ideas? To a certain degree, yes, but not all of it is available. I would say what I've played on the programme is only a very small percent of the music that it has been produced by cults. It's just that a lot of it either isn't recorded not available to the public or just just sort of in the background there there was a time most in the 1970s uh when there was more of an interest that a lot of the spiritual centers would record an, a devotional album mm-hmm. or two it, that was sort mm-hmm. of like the thing and uh from that time there is a uh, plethora of collectibles and since then it's just sort of like a crapshoot. You have to research very, very deeply in order to find, and that's what I've been doing, just sort of uh, scraping the barrel beneath the barrel, whatever is below the subsurface of the barrel to find some of these recordings and to research the groups themselves. It, it always feels like, well, this is it. I've, there's nothing else I can possibly find. And then lo and behold, sure, I'll find something new. You talk about the fact that the evangelical Christian cults do sort of co-opt the various musical styles, rock, country, of course, hip-hop even, all sorts of other things. But in back in the 70s, they seem to have done some rather beautiful folky stuff as well. Wonderful hippie folk. And you've got one here, this Karen Lafferty, Beautiful Day. Tell us about that. So this is during the first wave of Christian contemporary rock that happened in the 1970s, 60s. Maranatha was an early Christian rock label that came out of Cavalry Chapel, which was the the first real mainstream megachurch that embraced the hippies, that brought hippies into the fold. Pastor Chuck Smith, who was an old school kind of established Christian preacher, had a meeting with the hippie preacher, Lonnie Frisbee, and 
realize that there's just a massive movement waiting to happen and also a lot of money to be made. And that's how the Marinantha labels start. And a lot of beautiful, wonderful music was made during that time. When I woke up this morning, I was thinking of where I've been. About the loves who'd come and gone away. I felt so sad and lonely. Would I ever find love again? Deep inside, a voice began to say. people who were coming of age decided that what worked for their parents doesn't work for them. There was a quest, a deep-seated hunger for some kind of spiritual foundation that incorporated and addressed more holistic issues. And something like uh, Druidism, even Thelema became a big hit here. Crowley's Thelema. Yes. You've said that, you know, in the New Age, there's a lot of uh, cliched sounds, she would say, crystal bells and that sort of thing. And you tend to wisely eschew it from your show. But there are a couple of things that you've picked out because they're stranger in some way. And one of them is this one. It's uh, by Sri Guru Dave Ishamafu, a Kundalini color healing meditation. So why did you set this one aside? So Mafu is an ancient spirit channeled by a housewife by the name of Jenny Torres. He's, I think, from Atlantis or Lemuria. It's essentially a Ramtha clone. So Ramtha is one of the more notorious 
uh, channeled spirits that emerged in the 1970s, uh, channeled by Jay-Z Knight. And then Jenny Torres came around and invented Mafu, or I shouldn't say invented, I, I would say materialized Mafu, uh, who is another ancient spirit from Lemuria, come to the 20th century to impart the secret knowledge. The color meditation, yeah, it's just so sonically wild, psychedelic and ethereal, where she goes into this ritual where she uh, does this cleansing or almost like an out-of-body experience bathed in various rays of light from informed by this prismatic spectrum from the sun. And as you're breathing, you breathe to the count of in, two, three, four, and out, two, three, four, Tell us about Jeremy Spencer and the children, Micah. So the children, uh, the children of God, probably the most pernicious cult that came out of the 1960s, uh, essentially a, uh, a child abuse cult. They, uh, they, they were in fact a child pornography ring disguised as a, spiritual uh organization da david berg was uh 100 
um, pedophile decided he was going to get the hippies into Jesus by making them prostitute for, for Christ. He got a lot of the female followers to raise money for him by prostituting themselves all along the West Coast, California. And uh, it became an epiphenomenon. It was huge all throughout the 1970s. They had bases throughout the world where they would perform what was called flirty fishing, prostituting for Christ, raising thousands and millions of dollars so that Pastor David Berg could live in luxury. And uh, the kids uh, were victims of what he saw as the correct way to raise children, which was exposing them to all kinds of perverse sexual activity and ultimately doing very terrible things to their bodies and minds. And a lot of, of, a lot of emotional, psychological fallout was, uh, came out of this cult. Many people had died as a result. And so Jeremy Spencer was an early member of the group Fleetwood Mac, left the group in order to join the children of God, and he, he did this record with them. things which have come out of 50s, 60s, out of the New Age traditions. It's just that we don't call them cults now, whereas if they've got echoes of manipulation and uh, exploitation, that's what we've become to call cults. Something like yoga would not be such a cultural phenomenon in the West mm. if it wasn't for the New Age. Spiritual foundation that incorporated and addressed more holistic issues. And something like the left-handed path religions, Wicca, Druidism, and so forth, definitely uh, had that. Even Thelema. Crowley's Thelema. 
Yeah. Also, there's all these other things going on, which I do associate more with the US, like the human potential movement, how psychology can improve your life. Um, I associate that much more with America than here. It came here, of course, you know, like the self-help movement did eventually. A lot of the psychoanalysts and psychologists that started that did come from Europe. Abraham Maslow is attributed as the founder of the human potential movement. And I think he was a German Jew. The concepts originated in Europe, but the practice definitely took hold in the US and became massively popular amidst the sort of middle class, the jet set. Americans monetized it. Oh, yeah, big time. Um, there were such a plethora of human potential groups in the 1970s, mostly, with slight differences and different influences it's to reintegrate our consciousness with other people through direct contact, confrontation, and breaking open these taboos that we were, are conditioned to believe in that are just artificial. So you've got things like S training where like people shout at you. Yes. And, and sort of break your personality down as yeah. a preparation for rebuilding it in a more ideal form. And EST is the perfect example of a new age human potential organization or or movement. Warner Erhard, the founder of EST, was uh, deeply ensconced in Zen Buddhist ideas, this concept that we are responsible for the type of life that we live. As humans, our instinctive agenda is to point our finger at other people for the cause of our suffering. Whereas in Zen Buddhism, we are taught that it's we are responsible, that we can make choices about how we want to live. And he integrated that concept into this new format of the encounter group. And it was almost like a stroke of genius because it created this million dollar <laughs> uh, movement. So you would pay quite a lot of money to be immersed in those ideas which had emerged from something which didn't cost a, any money. A weekend seminar in without bathroom breaks. That sounds messy. You had to hold it in. Uh, otherwise, you would be castigated and expelled. Sounds dangerous as well as messy. It's a lot. There was a lot of emotional and physical fallout from the Est movement. Yeah. It wouldn't be a complete conversation about cults in the countercultural years if it didn't involve a guru from the East. And one of your tunes is mind-bending, I think. Um, it's by Saint Gurmeet Ram Rahim Singh Ji Insan. Tell us about him and about it. So Saint Gurmeet, it was the leader of an Indian cult called Dara Sausha Sauda, a branch line of Sikhism that is not widely uh, recognized within the Sikh community because they focus more on the Sant Mat philosophy, which is essentially occultic Sikhism. This is where you meditate for extremely 
long periods of time and start disassociating. And it was discovered that he was forcing his male followers to uh, castrate themselves. And he was getting into all kinds of fights with various Sikh groups. And I think he ordered a few hits, <laughs> assassinations, and eventually wound up in prison. But before that, he did have a long and successful career as a Bollywood singer and actor. He was in a few Bollywood action movies. is not one of the curatorial decisions that you use. Some of the things are actually quite beautiful. Um, and this one stood out to me. It's Zarathustra, song 465 oh, yeah. from the Church Universal and Triumphant. Tell us about them. This is the cult of Elizabeth Clare Prophet. She was an incredible individual within the latter years of the New Age movement in the 1980s. She was a direct channel to the Ascended Masters. Uh, she operated a religious cult in Montana. At a certain point, Ascended Master El Moria told her that the world was going to end from a uh, nuclear holocaust. This was about 1989, she and her cult started digging into the mountain range of a certain area in Montana, completely destroying the environment to build an underground city or a series of underground chambers for the cult. And then when the appointed day came, when El Moria said Russia's going to send the bomb, 
nothing happened. And everyone realized that they had just lost their entire life savings to this woman. But uh, yeah, Zarathustra is one of the ascended masters. And they they did have these devotionals, so all the ascended, all like 500 of the ascended masters, or however many there are. And that one is probably my favorite. The ascended masters is a common theme in these New Age traditions, right? What does it actually mean? Who are these ascended masters? The ascended masters are a lineage of spiritual luminaries, been able to perceive the inner teachings, and the they have spread the secret knowledge of the mechanics of the universe. This is all started from theosophy. It originated with Helena Petrovna Blavatsky, the medium that co-founded the Theosophical Movement, who was guided by three or four invisible masters. From that originated this concept of the Ascended Masters, started by Charles Ledbetter, who took over the Theosophical Society after Blavatsky ascended. She became an Ascended Master or Mistress herself. Absolutely, yes.
you've done this extraordinary thing. You're an archivist, effectively. You're an archivist of the music of cults, good, bad, very strange, um, some of them. And you're also bringing your theme, I suppose, to London in September to the Horse Hospital. Tell us about this show that we're going to see. And The show is called God Body. It's just a visual exploration of the New Age from the beginning in the 19th century to the dawn of the Internet era, which I see as the beginning of the second wave of the New Age. So it really just focuses on, say, the 1830s to about the early 1990s, an exploration of imagery associated with the new age during those years illustrations charts diagrams cosmologies even advertising uh, some photographic documentation and are you going to be doing any live events yes the opening we are going to have i'm going to do a talk but it'll also include a q a and we're also going to have on another night, I'm going to be showing some videos of instructional films as well as documentaries from the New Age era, from various religions. And it'll be sort of like a uh, a video version of my radio show. I'm going to put links to all that in the show notes. Um, when you look around or survey the cultural landscape um, in America and here too, do you see, like, say, the devotion that lots of Americans have for Donald Trump as something cultish? Definitely. I don't think the issue is so much about Trump. The reasons why we have these extremist cults now, like Trump, is because we've failed to address the needs of regular, normal people who don't make a billion dollars a year. It's the same thing that happened in the 1930s in Germany. Hitler was a cult, and it's happening now on many different levels throughout the world. Uh, Trump is just one version, one head of a uh, demigorgon that seems to be taking over the world. One of the cults people probably most familiar with Jim Jones and another suicide cult. But you ferreted out, I have no idea from where, some of the music that was played live by the Jonestown Express, his own band. Tell us about that and tell us about this a song which people people will recognise but was given a particularly kind of poignant slant mm -hmm. with what was about to happen. That's a very deeply emotional and haunted recording. Jonestown Express was the in-house cabaret band in the Jonestown Cafe. Uh, so in between members having to listen to Jim Jones give these rants over loudspeaker all day while they performed uh, various tasks to maintain the, the village, they were given a little downtime where they could sit and relax and listen to live music from the Jonestown Express. And those recordings were made just months prior to the uh, to the massacre that occurred at the end of 1978. Yeah, that recording, of course, in light of what was to occur 
deeply powerful. I mean, it speaks for itself. There's really nothing else I could say about it. This song is dedicated to our mom. Everybody can give her a hand. That's right, I'll show our glasses back. The children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. Give them a sense of pride to make it easier. Let the children laugh. Remind us how with you. I decided long ago never to walk in anyone's shadow. If I fail, if I succeed, at least I have lived as I believe. No matter what they take from us, they can't take away our dignity. Because our greatest love of all what's happening to me. I found that greatest love of all inside. One thing that I've uh, wondered about, because we mentioned it briefly and obviously we haven't got time to go into it all there is obviously connections between cults and conspiracies or often cults have had conspiracy theories about the mainstream culture one reason for holding on to a conspiracy theory is that that feeling that it might give you that you have got the secret knowledge you referred to this earlier that you're not one of the sheeple who are marching in time even if you're not earning a billion dollars, even if you're quite poor, even if your job's humdrum, it gives you some way of setting yourself apart, setting yourself aside from the mass out there. And that's a quite understandable, I think, that sort of motivation. So one of the things that has happened post-internet is that now everyone can lock in to their own alternative belief system. Everyone has their own little agenda based on whatever uh, alternative insight they might have to the mechanics, the inner workings of reality. And that is very dangerous. The more nonsense and fiction narratives that are put forth out there, uh, the more it sort of grows exponentially amidst the public. But that's like one of the things that have occurred uh yeah now everyone has a a conspiracy theory based on whatever kind of information that they have gleaned off the internet and then what they do is they put it back out there within whatever other kind of narrative that might be influencing them whether it's like superhero kinds of narratives world of warcraft gaming is a big part of it cultural orientations that have informed these new conspiracy theories and are continue to help them evolve right so the cult in some respects has gone online oh yeah definitely let's just go back to the dark side of one more time briefly heaven's gate but maybe you could tell us a little bit about that particular cult And one of the people who began that was a professor, Marshall Applewhite, right? And uh, 
those times, he made an album, which we're going to hear a bit yeah. from. But just tell us about Heaven's Gate and him. So Heaven's Gate was one of the notorious UFO cults that emerged in the 1970s. They are mostly known for perpetrating a mass suicide in the middle 90s. When uh, Marshall Applewhite declared that the comet Hale-Bopp was going to take them to the astral holy land, that Hale-Bopp was in fact a spaceship, and in order to board, they had to discard their bodies biologically, ride the tail of the comet in, in astral form. So that's what they did. And a lot of dead bodies wearing Nikes, blanketed in purple shrouds were found the day after. Marshall Applewhite started out as a music professor of American universities, one of them being the University of Alabama, and that he got his students to perform and they made a record together. I like this one. Yeah. We're going to end uh, with one of your tunes, and I think we'll pick one that you loved, actually, and it's from the cult known as Ekankar. Just tell us about it. It's this track, Livestream, Take the Journey Home. Well, it's funny because Ekankar is actually another offshoot of the same Sikhist philosophy known as Sant Mat. It's just that it's the Americanized version. Uh, the genius of Ekankar was that the founder, Paul Twitchell, who studied directly with a Santmat yogi, streamlined the Santmat teachings for the American public and created Ekankar, which became 
a really huge success in the 1970s. And they uh, put out a number of records, these sort of weird private press, folky, jazzy records. And Lifestream was one of them. And it's just this uh, bizarre new age jazz record. The sound is there, all you must 
is listen the music is there Micah, we've come to the end, and I've just wanted to ask you, are you sure you haven't got a secret desire to have your own cult still? (laughs) I'm content to just let whatever I do lend itself to whatever fate, destiny has in store for me, whether it's to reclaim my status as a cult leader or as an educator or an entertainer or as simply as an artist, that's fine with me. But uh, I let destiny decide. If you had a cult, what sort of music would soundtrack it? The music of total silence. Uninterrupted silence. (laughs) Micah, thanks very much for coming to the Bureau of Lost Culture. Well, thank you so much, Stephen. Thanks for having me. So, folks, for much more music of mind control and stories of strange esoteric goings-on in the New Age and beyond, check out Micah's show on WFMU. If you happen to be here in 2023 and in London, you can see his show God Body at the Horse Hospital this September. Details in the show notes. I'd be very, very interested to hear from anyone who has joined a cult. Do let me know if that's you. Maybe we can interview you about it. I don't think we've had many cults in the UK, not recently anyway, and the ones that we have had seem to have been quite tame. I see that the Church of Scientology is still offering free personality tests on Tom Court Road though. Thanks for listening. Keep listening, helping us put the cult back in counterculture. See you, hear you next time.